We've been continuing the series. Now we're week six in the series of Elijah, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. So pastor sent me a, a note and he said, hey, bless, can you speak? And I came up with 15 to 20 excuses of why I can't do this this morning. And I was ready to text him back and say, hey, pastor, I'm busy. I can't do it. Uh, don't think I can make it on time or you know, any little excuse I could think of. I was like, ah, this is not me. I'm even nervous up there. I don't know why he would ask me to come down here. But something told me, just, just do it. So I accepted, and then the verses he gave me to speak was Elijah. And I said, God, this must be you, because this is my favorite character in the Bible. And I just had to say, hey, this had to be something where God said, you know what? I'm going to, to speak something new, and I really hope that you would get something new this morning. We're going to continue on this just great series that we've been having on Elijah. So we started in verse 17 of 1 Kings, verses 1. What I love about this character is, he has no pre-existing text. He comes out of the blue, and he comes out swinging. There is no long-term development of this character telling you how he was as a child and how he grew up. It just starts. Elijah the Tishbite. And right as we see, we go all the way right up to the first uh, verse here in chapter 17. It says, Elijah, Now Elijah the Tishbite... From Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As long as the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain for the next few years except at my word. What I love about this statement is imagine one, you're talking to a king. Everyone comes and they have to be respectful. They have to say things as quietly and professionally as possible. They have to choose their words wisely because kings at this time could literally kill you with one word. But Elijah comes out swinging. He says, literally, as long as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain. And not just for a day, not for a week, not for a month, but for years. So we've already talked about this in the series, but why I wanted to recap that is as we go, we're going to do a little recap as well to uh, verse, uh, sorry, 1 of chapter 18. And after a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain unto the land. And why I wanted to catch these two verses is we start with Elijah coming out swinging. He's saying years before the rain comes, and in the next chapter we see it's been three years. Why I say that is as we go to the text this morning, it's not just a few weeks of problem. It's not a few months of problem, but this is years of no rain, drought, famine. People are now so deprived of their natural resources that they are angry. They are looking for an answer. They have been doing things for so long for a certain way that they have no hope. And that's where we come this morning. So we look here. We're going to start. And the, the title, I have never had to title a message before, so I was trying to find what a title would be. And I went through a few in my mind, but God spoke to me, and he said, I want you to, to call it Challenge Accepted. And if any of you are Him fans, you know I did not steal it from them, but I just, I really went in and I loved this idea because it is when we take that challenge that is in the Bible and we accept it. It is not just something where, you know, God says something, it speaks to us, and then the next week we let it go. But we accept the call or the challenge that God has given us today. 
So let's start off. We're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to leave off at 19 where we left last week. And in 19, it says, Now summon the people from all over Israel and meet me on Mount Carmel. We're going to start right there. So this is in a time where Elijah just comes back, tells King, hey, this is what's happening. There's going to be no rain. Now he's coming back, and everyone is now realizing this is that same Elijah that came three years ago, stopped the rain, and left. He is coming back. The troubler of Israel, as we saw last week, he comes back, and he wants to go to Mount Carmel. Now, what's the significance of Mount Carmel? So I looked it up. And I tried to figure out why specifically they could have gone to the temple of God. They could have gone right to the the king's court. They could have gone to so many places, but they chose Carmel because that Mount Carmel had now become a place devoid of God. It was known as a place where people escaped from God. It was a place where no one worshipped the true living God. It was a place where they now sacrificed to idols, Baal and Asherah and many more. So This was a place that... Elijah specifically chose to challenge the enemy. Sometimes we feel so comfortable at home. We feel so comfortable at church. We feel so comfortable in the places we know that is where God gets worship. But sometimes to challenge the enemy, we have to go to their home court. We have to go where it is not so pleasing for us. We have to go somewhere where it might not be the home court advantage for us. So we see here Elijah goes and challenges them to go to Mount Carmel. The best part is he doesn't say what they're doing. The fact that he's been gone for three years has given them this angst. Like, I don't care what he's going to do. We have to follow this man and figure this out because he took our reign. He not only gets the entire Israel to come, but he gets 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah to all come and meet. They have no idea what's happening. But as you can see further, he says in 21, uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 21, it says, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? This is the challenge I want to talk to you about today. A lot of us waver between two opinions. You might look at me and say, no, I believe in God. God is the only God I believe in. I don't believe in anything else. But how you live your life, we kind of have a line. Let's call this the line right here in the middle. On Sunday, we're on the God line. And then as Sunday goes on, we don't go too far. We just kind of go on this side of the line and then kind of go back. We're playing with this line. It's this opinion, this option of two sides. What God do you serve? Is it going to be God, or is it going to be something else? Is it going to be your job? Is it going to be other things? I, want to get into, I don't want to get into anything cryptic, but this is that, that line that we always go back and forth. We try our best, and I'm speaking this to myself first before anyone, please don't take this wrong, but we go back and forth trying to see how much we can get away with on this side. And then Saturday night, that nice prayer that we pray, we'll run back to this side Sunday morning. But that is the line that we see that the challenge begins. So if we go to the, the actual challenge here. So if we go to uh, 30, uh, sorry, uh, 18 verses 24. 
and you see Elijah lays out the challenge. He tells them finally what you're about to do. We're going to stack up your God versus my God. We're going to stack up what you've been doing for the past three years, what you've put your trust in for the past three years. We're going to stack it up versus my God. It was a, a straight challenge. There's very few times where God does this one-on-one battle. It's usually always wait for me, and I will answer you in due time. But this is one of the few times in the Bible you see God acting very swiftly because this is at a point where the entire children of Israel need a sign to stop doing what they've been doing for so many years. So you see in 24, he brings out the challenge. And then as you can see, they all start. It's a very common story, so I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty. But they go in, they build their altars, they get ready for the showdown. And the prophets of Baal and Asherah start praying early in the morning. They start, they set up, they start praying, chanting. They do all the things that they know how to do. What I want to bring to your attention is a lot of times we are on this side and we're praying. God, answer our prayer. God, do this. Last week, I lifted my hands like this and it worked. So if I lift my hands like this again, it's going to work again. Just because we're doing the same actions we've done week after week after week, does that mean that we're on the side where God is receptive to us? Sometimes we have to remember if we're not on this side, I apologize if you like one side versus the other. That's not my intent this morning. But it's talking about being on the side where God is listening to you. If you continue to go through, Elijah starts mocking them at around noon. So hours into this, they're still praying and chanting and calling out the name of their gods and saying, where are you? Can you please do this? Bring this fire down. Burn this sacrifice. Nothing is happening. Elijah's mocking them. It's like, hey, he might be meditating. He might be on a journey. Your gods might be doing X, Y, and Z. He might be sleeping. Call it out louder. You're not crying loud enough. So what do they start doing? They start crying aloud, cutting themselves, doing everything to cause some attention. This is where some of you might not like what I'm about to say. Some people use those same tactics with God. You cry out. You speak out. You fall down. You do all the things you've seen and you've heard other people do for their healing and their miracle. But you have to remember what side you are on first. It always comes down to, is your heart right with God? I'm not here to judge you. No one's here to judge you. But this is an internal reflection you should have. When you do what you do, why are you doing it? These people cried out for more hours and hours. And finally, during the evening sacrifice, Elijah comes out. And you see here, in verse 30, it said, Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came. And he repaired the altar of the Lord. Why did he repair the altar? The other side built a brand new altar. What was Elijah doing repairing this old altar? See, when I said Mount Carmel was a place devoid of God, that was not always the case. This was once a place where the actual altar of God existed, but it was tore down. He went to a place devoid of God and rebuilt his altar. What places in your life have a teared down altar? 
What portion of your life has a tear-down altar where at one point you were really zealous for God? At one point you had all the need to come to church and speak to your friends about God and do something. At what point did this start going away? And what point are you going to start rebuilding that altar? He takes his 12 stones and he rebuilds this altar. But what does he do on top of this? We call it overkill. He sets everything up just like they did. He drenches this with water. Not just a little bit. In the actual translation in Hebrew, I looked it up, it's almost two gallons of water in a trench around it, completely full. Why? Because there needs to be proof that nothing else could do what God is about to do. No small wind, no little catch of fire, no magnesium on the side, nothing will actually get this lit but the fire of God. When we give God the opportunity to do something in our life, there is nothing else that will stop it. There is nothing else that will stop it. We kind of put God in a box sometimes. We say, okay, well, I've heard once this person had the flu, and they prayed, and they were healed. So if I have the flu, I can pray, and I will be healed. Stop putting God into a box. He's not in a box. He's here to do anything and everything for you. As we continue to move on, they drench this entire area, completely drenched. There is not one spot that is dry. And then as we read, in, uh, if we can go back to uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 30, he's going to actually pray. But he's not going to pray for hours. He's not going to pray from dawn till dusk. He says it very simply. He said, in verse 36, I apologize. At this time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your commandment. And then he continues in 37, answer me, Lord, Answer me so these people will know that you are Lord, you Lord are God, and that you have turned their hearts back again. The biggest difference between these two prayers, if we look at the prayer of the, of the prophets of Baal, they're shouting out, do this for me. Oh, Baal, show yourself. We are calling you. But the difference in Elijah's prayer is he doesn't have a me mentality. He says, for your glory, for you to be known, do this. Let the fire come down. Sometimes in our life, we have such a need to pray, God, I need this. God, I want this. God, I, I, I. We have this tendency to always put our needs ahead. But sometimes we must stop and say, God, let your will be done in my life. Let your will be done in my life. It's as simple. When we take a chance and say, hey, God, I know I want X, Y, and Z, but let your will be done. Whether that includes X, Y, or Z or not, that is not the point. But I want your will to be done in my life. How many of you are ready to move on to that next chapter and say, God, I am not going to pray for me. I'm going to pray for what you want to do through me. And as we continue here, 38, it says the fire came down. It was instant. There was no waiting. 
And what I mean by that is when you are in the anointing of God, God has already ordained your steps. Whatever you ask. We talked about everything from, you know, demon possessions and all of this stuff last, last week. And we talked about the forces of the enemy and how many of us can say, you know what, that's a little out of my league. I'm not at that level. I'm not the one. Oh, we need to get pastor back here to pray for that. That's, a, that's a, at that, that next level. But what we sometimes don't realize, when God has anointed you to speak to your neighbor, when God has anointed you to speak to your city, when God has anointed you to do something more, he has already ordained your steps. All the things in your path have already been moved. It is up to you to open your mouth and say what God has already put in your mouth to say. It's so simple. Sometimes we get so bogged down with our own just own problems, our own just mentalities, everything that we have that we say, you know what, God, we're not enough. But God is telling us, when I have ordained you, when I have anointed you, just go out and do what I've called you to do. We go down, and this is the last part of this section that I want to get to in verse 40. It gets a little graphic, so I'll keep it very clean. We want to get rid of our ball. And what does that mean? Sometimes everyone looks at this portion of the, the, the verse and they say, that's a little excessive. Where is the God of forgiveness? Why are we you know, being so merciless at this time? And he comes and he pretty much executes all these prophets. But why is that? Because there needs to be a repentance. You need to get rid of your ball. Whatever is in your life that was holding you down, whatever was in your life that was taking you away from God, that is something you need to get rid of completely. For example, not calling anyone out here, not saying anything. If you're trying to get rid of alcohol in your life and you are on this side and, you know, you say, I'm coming to this side. I want to get rid of all of this temptation. If you leave all that alcohol right there, what happens? At one point, that temptation comes back. Those memories come back. Everything comes back. Once again, I apologize if that's not a good example, but I want to make sure you understand whatever it is in your life that is taking you away from God, once you have realized that and moved on to this side, you have to take it out of your life. We are humans. We will make the same mistakes over and over. Take that step ahead of time and make sure we move our our, our move onto the side, but more importantly, we get rid of our ball. You have to understand, at this time, the children of Israel were so desperate. Three years, no water, no rain, so much famine, so much desperation. Yet until this point, they were okay with worshiping Baal. Because sometimes we're just okay with doing what we're used to do. There is no change. But it has to come to a point where we realize, no, no more. Enough is enough. God, I'm going to do something for you. But remember to get rid of your ball. There is no moving forward without clearing your house, without cleaning up all the things you have to clean up. Now, this portion comes, the, the beginning of this, it's talking about rain, and everyone gets confused as to where this challenge came but the challenge came because the hearts of the people needed to turn before the miracle of God came down. The fire was not actually what the, the, the main event was. It was the rain. 
Everyone was waiting for the rain. Everyone was waiting for that miracle, that, that rain and dew and everything to come down. The fire was just to get their attention, to let them know the God of hosts is coming. That the power of God, the, the God of Israel was the true God. As we continue to go through here, Elijah tells Ahab immediately after, rain is coming. He hasn't done anything yet. He hasn't prayed. He hasn't called out to God. Because when you are anointed of God, your steps are already ordained. But as we continue to move on, we see in verse uh, 42, if you can put up 42 for me. So Ahab went off. He's enjoying his, his what, you know, few moments right before the rain comes. He knows that the rain is coming. But Elijah climbed onto the top of the mountain and bent down on the ground and put his face between his knees. Why is that so important? You have to remember, a lot of times in the Bible, people will say, he prayed, he prayed, he prayed. But what is the significance of bowing down and putting your head between your knees? What is the significance? It is surrender. When someone surrenders and they have no intention of doing anything, they bow down, they put their face down. They have no intention of anything. They are surrendering. Elijah is showing us that when we want the actual power of God to move, he is literally giving us an outline of how to get that to come. We have to bow down on our knees, our faces down in between our knees and pray and let God do something great. And as we continue, it says, he, he talks to his servant, and as he's praying, he tells the servant, go and look for the rain. He goes up, the servant, there's nothing. It's still dry. It's still hot. What a disappointment. This God so far has been instant. Every time he's been doing everything in an instant. Why? Why all of a sudden is the word of God not working the way it needs to? Why all of a sudden is that answer not coming as quickly as it needs to? Because there are moments where God is pushing you to trust him more and more. And then the next time you send out the servant, comes back, Master, there is nothing. There is no rain still. Pushing you to pray more and more. How many times have we sat down in the presence of God and said, God, I need this in my life. God, I'm desperate. Can you please hear me? I'm surrendering myself to you. But after that first prayer, nothing. After that second prayer, nothing. After that third prayer, nothing. How many of us have gone to school, studied every single hour that you could possibly study and get your exam result and say, God, what is going on? I prayed. I studied. I did everything I was supposed to. I didn't go out with my friends. I didn't do other things that other people were doing. I was doing everything by the book. He's telling you to go back down on your knees. Go back one more time and let me show you who I am. One more time. One more time. It doesn't matter if last time it was three. It doesn't matter if the time after that it was four. God is telling you to go back. Until I do what I need to do, go back. Get on your knees. Pray. And let the glory of God be revealed. He continues to go. Round two. Round three. Round four. Round five. I got to tell you, after about five or six, I think I'm done. There's, there's nothing more. God is just not answering this prayer. 
There's not anything more I can do. Maybe this is not the time God has set for me. It is definitely not what God wants me to do right now. Maybe I should change my attention and do something else. But remember, when God has called you to do something, be faithful. Remember, he has called you to do something. Go back your sixth time, because I promise you, there will be a seventh time. There will be a seventh time. When all things are hopeless, when all things are gone, when you have no idea what is happening, when you believe, listen, God has just left me at this point. I should just really go back to what I was doing. I have no place being here. There will be a day seven. There will be a seventh time where you look up and you see a cloud as small as a fist. It's not immediate sometimes. It's not something that happens right away. It's not that you pray, God, let me have this, and the next day it happens. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes he wants you to go over all of these things. Sometimes he wants you to go back and rebuild your altar. Sometimes he wants you to go back and get rid of your Baal. Sometimes he wants you to go back and do all the things that he has commanded us to do. Sometimes we get so caught up in the fact that, hey, God, listen, I prayed. I did what I need to do. If you're not going to answer me, it's over. But God is telling me it is the seventh time. And I have an answer for you. I have an answer for you. It's not a monsoon that comes. It's a small little cloud but it's the sign that God has heard you. When you're looking for God to reach out to you, when you're looking for that small answer of a prayer, understand that may not come as an earthquake. It may not come as a flash flood. It may not come so obvious that everyone might see it. It will come sometimes very faint where you barely can notice it. It's almost opposite with the fire. You see, God came down in a blaze of glory. He sucked up all the water. Everything was right there in the presence of everyone. But you have to understand, when God is ready to move and do something big, sometimes it comes very small. Are you willing to put that faith in God and say, I got my cloud. I am ready because I know what God is about to do. And as we read, the skies darkened, the clouds came, and the rain came down. I'm telling you, when God has called you to do something, don't let anyone or anything stop you. Don't let anyone or anything put you on the side. When you're going between side A and side B, and you're taunting in your head like, what am I going to do? What is this? Where am I supposed to be? Understand that God is putting you through all of this because as you graduate each level, you get closer and closer to him. Like, I just hope that really touches at least one or two of you. I told you in the beginning, I know that this is not for everyone, but the first challenge, which side are you going to be on? Are you going to continue to do this? Are you going to continue to do the actions in church so everyone can see on this side? Are you going to play the part on this side just so everyone thinks that you're on the right side? Or are you going to actually step over to this side? Are you going to get down on your knees and pray that God does something in your life? Are you going to change your prayer from God, I need this, God, I need this, God, I need this, to God, let your will be done in my life? It's that simple. This is the process of change. 
This is a challenge because I promise you, no one's going to do this tomorrow. It's not going to be where, hey, I heard that message and today I'm on this side and everything is great. It is going to be a process that you have to go through. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. But as, as we continue and as we close this morning, this small word is all I have to say. Are you going to accept this challenge? Are you going to choose the side you need to be on? Are you going to rebuild your altar? Are you going to take the time to clean out the ball in your life? And are you going to get down on your knees and wait? Not one time, not two, not three, not four, but until God moves in your life. This is what we need. This is not a hype message. This is not something where everyone's all happy and cheery. But I hope that the word of God truly touched your heart. I hope that you truly understand the depth of what has been said today. Take that time, accept this challenge, and let God use you like no one has seen before. Let God use you like no one has seen before. If you would join me today, I'm just going to pray. Father God, we just thank you for this word. We thank you for the promise that you have given us, that you are ready to take us to that next level. God, I pray that you would work on each and every one of us to pick our side, to rebuild our altar. Lord, I pray that you would give us the ability, Lord, to focus on you. Lord, to come down on our knees and pray until you move in our life. Let your will be done. Let your will be done. Let your will be done. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We just praise you and we just thank you. Lord, we surrender our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, move in this place and touch each and every one of us that were receptive to this word. Help us to grow in it and help us to actually embody this word and go forward in it. In the name of Jesus, we pray.